Sean Finnegan, and you are listening to Restitutio, a podcast that seeks to recover authentic Christianity and live it out today. As our society increases in polarization and ideological tribalism, it's easy to become thin-skinned, taking offense at the slightest remark. Even certain words can trigger us to explode in outrage and vitriol. What are we to do? Should we cloister ourselves in echo chambers surrounded by those who already agree with us? Should we listen when criticisms come our way? After all, sometimes they may be right. Should we always avoid emotional pain? Or can insensitive remarks, ideological attacks, and harsh criticisms ultimately make us stronger? In this sermon, you'll see how God's love is a game changer that anchors your value in his opinion of you while simultaneously freeing you to engage with offensive statements by others in a healthy and productive way. Here now is episode 374, I'm Offended. I've been criticized a lot in my life. I think you probably have been criticized a lot in your life too is pretty normal to be criticized. Uh, I once put out a video of the history of Christianity in Africa, and I was called a racist on the YouTube comments for that. Uh, I've been told many times that I'm a heretic uh, because I don't see the Trinity in Scripture. Uh, I've been called selfish, insensitive, excessive. Some people call me too rigid. Other people call me too loose. Uh, Recently, I was called weak on my stance against abortion. Uh, They felt that I wasn't strongly enough opposing it, even though they agreed with me. Uh, I've been excluded from college campuses. I've been kicked off the Christian radio. Uh, I've been called lazy. I've been called a workaholic. Too radical. Some people call me too radical. Some people say I'm too restrained. Uh, I've been told many times that I don't know what I'm doing. You don't know what you're doing. Everybody ever tell you that? I've been undermined countless times. Sometimes I've been called a bad parent for letting my kids do too much, and other times for being too strict. Uh, Sometimes I've been told my sermons are too long. (laughs) When only one claps, we know who it is. (laughs) Strength in numbers. I've been told that I use too many quotes in my sermons, that sometimes I'm too intellectual, sometimes I'm too emotional. Not typically do people say that. Uh, Sometimes they say I'm too dry or I'm too boring or I use too many Bible verses. Sometimes people have told me, and I'm not just like making these things up. I spent time to think through my life and think about the criticisms I've received. Sometimes they tell me that I don't use enough Bible verses. A lady once interrupted me in the middle of a sermon, right in the middle, she just stood up and she interrupted me. It was because I had made a comparison. This was after uh, George W. Bush versus Al Gore. So that's dating this situation a little bit, okay? Uh, Some of you weren't alive yet. Just kidding. Uh, But Al Gore came as close as you can possibly come to being the President of the United States and then lost. And I was making a comparison between the supporters of Al Gore and how the disciples of Jesus felt after Jesus was crucified. Saying that sense of like, oh, we thought he was the Messiah, he was gonna be the political ruler, and then he died. And this lady was a big Al Gore supporter. So she, she didn't catch that I was comparing Al Gore to Jesus. She was just so triggered that she interrupted uh, and said, let's not get political. The whole point of my sermon was to say that Jesus is political. And I had to land the plane. I had to finish the sermon. I mean, they brought me all the way out there. I won't say what state it was, but it's not anywhere near here. And, uh, you know, that was a criticism that happened in the middle of a sermon. Uh, I've been repeatedly criticized for using the title reverend. Uh, A lot of people don't like the title reverend. They say you're lifting yourself up to be revered as if feared, as if a god. I I go by pastor anyhow. And a lot of people uh, criticize me for using pastor. Last Tuesday, uh, somebody jokingly asked if I drink all the communion wine after it's done and get drunk on it. (laughs) When these criticisms come, 
I'm just telling you my criticisms. You have your criticisms. People say stuff to you. And look, if some knucklehead says it, I don't really take it that seriously. My wife criticizes me too. My parents criticize me. My close friends criticize me. My kids are old enough now that they criticize me. <laughs> and if it's somebody that's close to you that criticizes you, guess what? You better listen. You better listen. You're crazy not to listen. But you don't have to take offense. That's your decision. To take offense is your decision. Now, the criticism may be valid, may not be valid. Some of those criticisms that I just mentioned to you, they were valid. They were right in those particular situations. I was wrong. I'm wrong all the time. And so are you. You know, we're people. And a lot of them were totally false. They were spoken out of anger or jealousy or frustration or something else, and, and, they, and they weren't true at all. I've had people come to me and harshly criticize my, uh, a sermon that I've done. I don't respond in the moment. I just listen. I, I nod. I said, thank you. I'll think about that. You know, I mean, what else are you going to do? I can't process it while you're yelling at me. <laughs> so then, but then I'll, I'll wait a few days, and I've even gone back and listened to the sermon and be like, is that what happened there? Because I don't know. I'm up here, and you don't really know what you're saying uh, until it comes out, right? <laughs> <laughs> Appreciate that. So I've had to think about it, and, and sometimes people have been right, sometimes people have been wrong, but I don't have to take offense. That's my choice. And you know why I have that freedom? is because of Titus chapter 3. That's what gives me that freedom, to not react to the situation. It gives me the, uh, the freedom to decide whether or not to take offense. I have that choice. You have that choice. Look at verse 3 here. Titus chapter 3, verse 3. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others, and hating one another. That's not some happy words. Those are, those are negative words, in case you didn't catch that. Verse 4. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own, what? Mercy. Mercy. By the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, which he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. You'd do well to memorize those verses. Verses 3 through 7. Boy, what an incredible summary of Christian conversion. Of the, of the born-again experience, of what, it, what happened there when you came to Christ. Uh, look, let's look, look at it a little bit in more detail. Verse 3, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others, and hating one another. When I read those words, I don't think, Ooh, man, that's a little harsh. No, I think that was me. Yeah, that was me. That's who I was. That's what I was like. And maybe not every single one of those things resonates with me as much as everything else, but there are certain ones in there that, that I'm like, yes, that's what I did. I was foolish. Uh, I was disobedient. I was led astray. I was deceived. I thought I was doing the right thing, and I wasn't doing the right thing. Has that ever happened to you? I was self-focused. I didn't care who I hurt. I didn't think about how my actions affected others. I once dumped a girl in my junior year of high school just because the senior year was rolling around and I wanted to be open for an upgrade. I didn't even have, I didn't even have somebody else lined up. I was just like, well, I don't want to be locked down for 12th grade. I feel like I finally know what I'm doing and I can't be stuck with this girl. I didn't care about her at all. It's just I was just selfish. I mean, what, what are those words that are said? Foolish, led astray, slave, sl there it is, slaves to various passions and pleasures. That's me, B.C. That's me before Christ. That's, that's who I was. I was just enslaved to my passions. Just what, whatever my passions were, they were just dragging me along. Oh, look at this. Some pornography. Oh. All right. Or what about this over here? Look at this. And I was just enslaved to those passions. I really want, I really want this over here. And I just got 
pulled one way and another way, and I, I just followed my passions, and I just walked according to the course of this world, or as I like to say it, based on Ephesians 2, dancing to the devil's drumbeat. That's how I like to think of it. He's, he's beating the drums, and I'm just dancing like an idiot to his drumbeat, and I think I'm freestyling. I think I, I think I think I have figured this out. I'm the only one. Meanwhile, you zoom out and we're all doing the same monkey dance. Verse four. But when the goodness, woo! But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Man, there's some rich words there. Think about that. Think about that for a moment. The goodness. This is what motivates. This is what motivated God, his goodness and his loving kindness. You know what it says explicitly? It wasn't you. It wasn't your goodness. It wasn't your righteousness. It wasn't your works. It wasn't your potential. None of those things motivated him here. Do you see, did it say that in this text? Let's read it again, verse four. But when the goodness and loving kindness of our God, our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us, in righteousness. It's not because you read the Bible that he saved you. It's not because that one time when you were nice to that person who everyone was making fun of at school, that's not why he saved you. It's not. The truth is, whether you like it or not, whether I like it or not, verse 3, that's who we were before Christ. It had to be motivated by his goodness and kindness. He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own what? Man, I'm, I'm going to have to just try that one more time. One more time. Titus chapter 3, we're in verse 5. He saved us. This is big. This is why we're here. He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. All right. That's what I'm talking about. He saved us according to his own what? All right. By the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. That just sounds good, doesn't it? You know what I think of when I, when I read that? I think, of, uh, I think of my shoes right now full of mud. Anybody else's shoes have mud or boots have mud on them, right? What, what's going to fix that? Well, you get, uh, you probably won't do this, but like you get a hose out and you spray those, those boots off, right? And that's going to wash off that mud and that dirt. Well, what are you going to do on your inside? Hose isn't going to work there. This is an internal washing. Look at this. By the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. That's big, right? We're lost. We're stuck in the mud. We're waist high. We can't, we, you know, we can move around a little bit, but we cannot get out of the mud. He reaches down because of his goodness and loving kindness. We reach up in faith and we, our hands meet. And you know what happens? We don't do a pull up. He just pulls us out. He pulls us out. He washes us down on the outside. And then he does this Holy Spirit hose job on your inside. Clean it all out. Regenerate it. You know what regeneration is? It's like bringing it to life again. And renewal. You know what renewal is, right? We just bring it to, to newness again. So the Holy Spirit, which he poured out on us. I know some of your translations say who, but in the Greek it says which. He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. That Spirit came to us through Jesus Christ, our Savior, and it's not stingy, it's richly. You see that? It's not a partial pouring out. It's not just like, oh, here's Jay, we'll just give her a little drip. No, it's more like, pour a bucket on her head like they do to the uh, football uh, coach. Yeah, they pour the Gatorade on It's not a little drip. It's not like somebody holds it and somebody just like squeezes that little dispenser and just a little bit comes out. No, they dump it on them. That's the Holy Spirit when you first believe, uh, which he poured out richly through Jesus Christ. He, sa he saved you because of his goodness. Uh, verse 7, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. There's so many big words in here. I mean, goodness, you could think of the richness of this text. That's why I say you should consider memorizing it. You know what I mean? How many times you heard me preach, Pastor Victor? Hundreds. Hundreds. Have I ever said to memorize anything? I'm telling you to memorize this. Now, it's your choice. You could memorize it or not memorize it. I don't, I don't go around saying that. I think this is worthy of space in your brain wrinkles. Okay? And, uh, you know, some of you have Kanye West's whole new album in your brain wrinkles right now. 
closed on Sunday. Okay. Right? <laughs> Anyhow, I think, this is, I think this is worth your attention because when you memorize a text, you know what you do? You say it over and over and over. And this is the sort of thing that's like a fruit that the more you squeeze it, the more it comes out. I'm partially saying that because I'm not going to do it justice. <laughs> so I may feel guilty. Verse 7, so that being justified by his grace, mm, set right, made, made right with God because of his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. There it is, ladies and gentlemen, eternal life. So what do we have? We have our dysfunction before Christ, right? Some of you might in this room right now still be B.C. right now. If you dated yourself, you would say, oh, I, I don't know, Pastor Sean, I might be before Christ right now. Well, that's okay. That's okay. Everyone's before Christ at some point. But then when you come to make that decision, you have this experience where God washes you. God cleanses you. God forgives you of all your sins. And you get a whole new life. There's a few of you who knew me in this room before Christ. He gave me a whole new life. Amen, Richard? Yes, he did. Yes, he did. Richard knew the old me. We got in a tussle in uh, London there. Um, <laughs> and he punched a wall. He he, seriously, he punched, you punched your wall. Yeah. You know why? Because I was that annoying. I was that uh, malicious and whatever else it said there. Foolish, right? He changes you. He changes me. And uh, so this is big. So why am I reading this in the light of um, I'm offended? Because for me, this is why criticisms don't destroy me. This is the reason why. This text, other texts like it, this is the reason why. If, I, if I'm truly honest, this is the reason why. I know that God loves me. That's what I know. That's something that nobody can take away from me. It's, it's, just, it's just so deep. There are some things in, in your heart that are just so deep, there's nothing that can change it. And then there's a lot of things that you know, can be changed, but there are some things that just, it's just how you are, and that's, and, you know, that's just the way it is. This is deeper than those things. The depth of understanding in your heart that God loves you, that, you, that in, at your very core, you know that he deigned you a fitting recipient of his love. He reasoned through, you know what? Jared, I love Jared. To the depth of his core, I love him. So I'm not dependent on your love. I like your love. Don't, don't, don't hate. Don't hate. I like it. But I'm not dependent on your love. I'm not dependent on your approval. I'm not dependent on my boss saying, good job. I'm not dependent on the number of likes my post receives. I'm not dependent on how much money I make. Right? Or, or what kind of possessions I have. I'm not dependent on those things. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with people liking your post on Instagram, I think it's fine, whatever. But that's not, you can't be dependent on that thing, on your popularity, your looks. I mean, your looks, even if you're just the most beautiful person in this whole room right now, or most handsome, right, then just wait 10 years. <laughs> you're gonna ground your sense of identity on your looks? Are you crazy? Are you crazy? It's just not a fitting anchor. You know what I mean? Where should your anchor be? It's, it's, it has to be with God. It has to be with something that is deeper than, you know, how good you are at your musical instrument or how good you are at doing your job. Some of you are amazing at your jobs, but you still can't make that your identity. So God has to be the most important. And I think of it like this. God is the most important being in the universe. God is the most powerful being. He's the most significant individual. And he loves me. He loves you. That's enough. You don't even need the eternal life. And it should still be enough. But he gives it anyhow. He's just like, you know what? Eternal life. Do you see what I'm saying here? You're not valuable because you're smart because you're good looking, because you're popular, because you're wealthy, because you're hardworking, educated, or stylish. Now it's okay to be stylish, Timmy Paul. You know, that's a good thing. But that's not what gives you your value. What gives you your value is that the most important individual in all of the universe, past, present, and future, said, I love you. That's what gives you your value. Now some of you hearing me say this, you're like, Sean, that's not profound. Sean, that's just like, Jesus loves me, God loves me, blah, blah, blah. Well, look, if that's what you think right now, 
I'm a little worried because when the storms of life come and they will and the harsh words come and they will and the hurt and the pain and the suffering comes and it will, doesn't matter how well you try to protect yourself, what's going to be there to hold you up? You're valuable because God wants you. You're valuable because God decided to love you. You're valuable because God gave his son for you. Think about that. That's the highest price God could pay. I'm sure if God could have died for you, he would have. Who's going to run the universe if God dies? You know, he gave his only begotten son. It was the most precious thing he possibly had. That's what he gave for you. It's the most valuable price. He didn't get you at the dollar general. He didn't go to five below, right? He didn't go to some of these like discount places where we go to buy our clothes, right? Where it's like, it's like the right brand, but the wrong year, right? <laughs> Anybody with me here? He didn't go to Plato's closet and be like, all right, it's used, but it's still good. He paid his only begotten son for you. He paid top dollar, premium dollar for you. He paid it all. You're valuable because God wants to spend forever. Think about this. God wants to spend forever with you. We have, we have troubles in our marriage, and it's hard to live with people, right? We have disagreements. We have, you know, some people like things this way, and other people like it the other way. It'd be hard to live with somebody for a long time, right? It is hard for those of you who are married. You know what I'm talking about, right? God wants to live with you forever. And he knows who you are. He knows all your secrets, all your weaknesses, all your failings, all the times when you pulled something off and nobody found out. Amen, Josiah? And uh, nobody found out. But you know what? He saw it. He knows everything that you've ever done that's wrong. And so... What I'm saying to you is that, and I'm going to get to the subject of offense in a minute, I just had to build a little groundwork here to understand that this is the core, and so if this is where we're grounded, other things are painful, they're real, they're not to be ignored, but they don't take you out. They don't destroy you. This is from the Coddling of the American Mind book, which I highly recommend if you ever plan on having children or if you already have children. It's not Christian at all, but somehow it has a lot of wisdom in it in how to help kids to, to be healthy and strong. He says, uh, the authors say, a culture that allows the concept of safety to creep so far that it equates emotional discomfort with physical danger is a culture that encourages people to systematically protect one another from the very experiences embedded in daily life that they need in order to become strong and healthy. All right, so what he's saying is people are equating two things. You've got emotional discomfort, right? That's like being annoyed. That's like hearing somebody say something that disagrees with you. That's emotional discomfort. Has anybody in here ever heard a sermon, maybe that Pastor Victor preached, for example, that you disagree with something in it? Do you not have a brain? I mean, come on. You've never heard a sermon where something the preacher said you disagreed with? I've heard plenty of sermons like that, right? Especially from, no, I'm just kidding. You sit on the front row and you're just going to get it. I got to hit Russell Green here a little bit too. Have you ever heard a sermon that you disagree with? Yes. He has, he has, right? That's emotional discomfort. You're not what this quote is saying is you're not allowed to equate emotional discomfort with physical danger. In other words, you're not going to die. <laughs> you're not going to die. But if instead what we do is we protect ourselves from emotional discomfort, we lose out on the, the value of suffering. Emotional suffering. Emotional suffering can actually be good for you. Physical suffering can actually be good for you. Anybody in here ever go to the gym and you're exercising or you're lifting weights or if you're Russell Brown, you're flipping tires. Do you flip tires? He probably doesn't even flip tires. I just have this, I have this image of him doing this like ultra CrossFit thing in his backyard. He just pushes cars. You know, he puts them in neutral, he pushes them up the hill and it's like, all right, back down. That's physical pain, that's suffering, right? And what does it do for you in, a, in the physical realm? What does it do for you? It makes you the next day sore and miserable. But then eventually, strong, right? Some of you are sore and miserable from dodgeball. Who was I, I talking to uh, Derek's sore from dodgeball? 
A lot of us are sore from floor hockey. Joe's shins are hurt from uh, one of these sports, right? We, we go through physical things, but you know what? We're sore and then we grow stronger. So it is, that's the outside, that's the physical body, right? So it is with the inside, when we face emotional trauma and difficulty, it can make us stronger. It can also cause us major problems. So I'm not saying it's all bad things are good for you. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is emotional pain isn't always a bad thing. Many times it's something that you can, you can push through with God's help to then grow in your resilience, grow in your ability to persevere. Here's another guy that, that's Goggins. I don't know if any of you know Goggins. I, I can't recommend his YouTube videos because uh, his favorite word is the F word. So uh, you didn't hear it here from Pastor Sean. But he says most of this generation quits the second they get talked to. You think that's true? I'm surprised you say that. Helen's nodding her head. She sees a lot of the young. What, what age are you dealing with mainly? Sixth grade to eighth grade. Sixth grade to eighth grade, yeah. You talk to somebody, you know what? They quit. They're done. That's what he says. You did this wrong or you did that wrong or they get yelled at. It's so easy to be great nowadays because most people are weak. This is a softened generation. So if you have any mental toughness, any ability, if you have any fraction of self-discipline, the ability to not want to do it, but to still do it. If you can get through doing things that you hate to do, on the other side is greatness. That's what he says. He is an ultra-marathoner who ran more than 100 miles straight through Death Valley, California in the summer. That's some, that's some physical pain. That's some physical pain. I mean, he knows physical pain, and he says, look, if I can just make myself do it, I will, the, way, the phrase he uses, I will callous my brain, and I will become stronger and more resilient the next time. If you want greatness, it's going to cost you something. It doesn't just drop out of the sky. Now, if you're fine with mediocrity, then, you know, just do what you're doing. We'll all eventually slide right into mediocrity. But if you want greatness, if you want to do great things for God, if you want to make a difference in this generation, and who else is there but those of us that God has in our work, those of us that God has in our school, in our house, in our neighborhood, you're the one that God has there to reach people, to love people, to make a difference, to be Jesus. It's you. And nobody ever called Jesus mediocre. Think about our Lord for a moment. Just think about our Lord for a moment. Did he ever have, I mean, obviously we know physical pain, crucifixion, hello. I'm not even going to talk about that. Did he ever have emotional pain? What do you think? Oh, yeah. It seemed like Jesus could not walk down the street without a Pharisee popping up. You're doing it wrong! <laughs> Didn't Moses say? So that was that, like every, he's walking in a field. And they're just catching a little grain as they're going like, you know. Hey, what are you doing? It's the Sabbath. Jesus faced constant conflict his whole life. Look, you're not going to do Christianity better than Jesus. Who do you think you are? Oh, no, I got to figure it out, Sean. I got to figure it out. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it this way, and it's going to be real smooth. Oh, yeah? It's going to be so smooth, nobody notices that you're even a Christian. <laughs> That's not better than Jesus. Jesus was honest, he was truthful, he was kind, he was compassionate, total package, example of being a full human being that God holds out to all of us. And he was constantly mocked. They called him Beelzebul. So you're casting out spirits by Beelzebul. They spread crap about him. They defamed him, they slandered him. He's dying and they're making fun of him. Oh, if you're really the Messiah, why don't you come down off that cross? <laughs> What? And he stayed on that cross. So, I mean, what does that tell us about an example for facing offense? You know the harshest criticism I ever received? I'll tell you. I'll tell you. My wife probably knows. Uh, some, of you, some of you know this story. The harshest criticism I ever received was from my father. I was, uh, I was 19 years old, 18, 18 years old. And uh, I, because of my birthday or whatever, I went to college at 17. 
I uh, went to the State University of New York at New Paltz. And uh, I was there at New Paltz, and I, uh, I had a severe video game addiction. Uh, the, this thing called the internet had just been invented, and I was just like on the early wave of people that figured out how to use the internet to waste incredible amounts of time killing each other virtually. <laughs> so I, I had a, a really bad video game addiction. Uh, I, I went to all the frat parties, uh, had, a, had a girlfriend, that wasn't healthy. Uh, I had a lot of, and I didn't go to class, and I got academic probation. That's below a 2.0. Anything below a 2.0 at that school is a, a, a academic probation. They sent home the letter to mom and dad. Mom and dad are like, you, son, what are you doing? Straighten up, fly right. I'm like, yeah, I got this. Went back, did worse. Got a new letter at the end of one year that said academic dismissal. That's where the college says, we don't even really want your money. Just go somewhere else. You're stinking up the place, right? That's what academic dismissal is. I came home from, from that you know, with my tail between my legs. And uh, I, I remember it distinctly. I was in my, my parents' bedroom. I don't know where mom was, but dad was there. And uh, he was yelling at me. You know, dad yells, you know, whatever. He yells all the time. But this time, he, he looked me in the eyes, and he's yelling at me. And he says, you know what you are? And, I, you know, I'm feeling like, I'm 18. You don't talk to me like that. What am I? He looked at me square in the eyes and he says, you're a loser. That's what he said to me. He said, he screamed it right in my face. You're a loser. That's what he said to me. That was traumatizing. That was, tra that was, a, very, that was a very harsh, crit I don't know if anybody's ever criticized me quite that directly. I mean, can you imagine that? Just like face to face, you could smell his breath. You're a loser. And uh, I really, every, every last atom in my body, every fiber of my being wanted to say to him, no, I'm not. But I couldn't. I couldn't. I couldn't, in all honesty, argue with his claim that I was a loser. I couldn't argue back because I was a loser. I was losing everything. I was losing in education. I was losing in my relationships. I was losing in every area of my life. I was not winning, I was losing. It's not that I enjoyed hearing this, right? I went away miserable and you know, probably said he's an idiot in my head and went on with life. But a, a little while after that, I, I kind of hit a, a wall in my life and I repented, I repented. What I determined to do was to win. I determined to win. I determined to win. So, I went, I went to the community college, and at the community college, I didn't sit in the back row. Well, I, first of all, I went to class. That was a big... <laughs> I went to class, and then I sat in the front row. Literally, every class, the front row. I figured out a way to take notes, where I took accurate notes of every class. Then I went to the library. I lived in the library. And I remember the first time I studied eight hours straight for a test. Eight hours straight. It was chemistry too. Bless my heart. Hated chemistry. Never wanted to take any chemistry, but it was forced upon me by the evil educational system. And, uh, and I had to take chemistry too. And I sat there and I studied for eight hours straight. And I still didn't get an A on that test. It was that hard of a test. It was a really hard test. What I would do is I would get the syllabus for each class and I would take out my academic planner and I would transfer the assignment due dates into my little planner. And then week by week, I would backtrack and say, okay, I have this test on this day, I need to study this day, and I blocked out literally every hour of my life for the semester, including sleeping time. I blocked it all out, okay? And I started to get good grades, wouldn't you know? That was a harsh criticism, and I could have just said to myself, I could have internalized, that could have done a lot of things to somebody, right? Getting called a loser in that kind of a sharp way. I could have internalized that. I could have said, you know what? I am just a loser. Why should I even try? Right? I could have said that. Or I could have, or I could have uh, been so obsessed with, you know, perfectionism after that that I could never let anything go, right? I mean, you could, you could have the opposite reaction, right? But that criticism was... It, it, it was harsh, but it was true. It caused me emotional pain that helped me to do better in life. 
I ended up graduating from that college with a good GPA and then getting into a better school because of that. And because I got into that better school and I did really well there, when it came time for, for when God called me to ministry and everything else, I had to go to seminary. I applied to the seminary and they called me on the phone and they say, we don't even want you to pay. We're going to pay you to come for my master's degree. They paid me to take my master's degree. It wasn't a lot, okay? But it was a little bit. Usually it's the other way around, though. You know that, right? Okay. So, I mean, this harsh emotional thing bore good fruit in my life because, well, first of all, it didn't destroy me. If it destroyed me, I'd be useless, right? But it helped me to try harder. When I think of other people, I think of the apostle Peter, right? What happened with Peter? Oh, I don't know him. Oh, wait, I thought I saw you with Jesus. Aren't you with Jesus over there? Oh, no, I don't know him. No, no, no. And then some little, uh, little girl comes. I think I saw you with him. I swear I didn't. And he's, he's crying and he goes out and then Jesus is crucified after that. Do you think that was a hard situation to come back from? I mean, could it get any harder? I denied him. I rejected him. I abandoned him. They killed him. And yet... How was Peter able to recover from that? How was he able to recover from that? He didn't let it destroy him. He didn't let it destroy him. And Jesus worked with him, and Jesus helped him along after the resurrection, right? And so when Peter stands up on the day of Pentecost and he preaches to those thousands, it's Peter standing there speaking. I mean, all, all the apostles are there, but Peter's the one speaking. When they brought him before the Sanhedrin, he didn't even quiver. You know how Peter died? He was executed by the Roman government. Listen to me. You don't just go in and say to yourself one day, I think I'll be a martyr. And then the government is torturing you and you persevere through it all to the point of execution. That doesn't just happen. You know how, how Peter could get to that place where he said, you know what, by life or by death, I will follow Jesus? It was because he went through emotional pain sometimes even physical pain, and he pushed through it, and God was with him, and he was strengthened, and then in the end, he stood strong. Let me show you a rock. I showed uh, Zachary Zupan this at his coming-of-age ceremony. You remember this? Where is he? You remember this? Yeah, a few of you were there, but most of you don't know what I'm holding here. This is a, this is a piece of road, right? Cars would go on top right there. Uh, this rock means a lot to me uh, because this rock caused me a lot of pain, a lot of physical pain, this rock. I went back and I got it. I keep it to remind me. I want to see just the shape of it, just how it looked. I was training for a marathon. This was my third attempt. The first two had failed. One time I had knee problems on this knee. The other time I had knee problems on the other knee. Who knows, right? Now I got foot problems. <laughs> On my third attempt, I was three months in, and I had made a commitment just to myself. It wasn't some big spiritual thing. I'm going to run every day. I'm going to train. For, you know, the wisdom is you train six days, you take a day off. Anyone who's ever trained for a marathon, that's what they tell you. I said, no, 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 no. That's, that's, that's too much rest time. I need, to, I need to train seven days a week every day, seven days a week. And I usually train at night. So I'm doing a speed workout, feeling really good, really good. I, I'm sprinting up hills and then uh, coming, walking back down or jogging back, sprint back up it again. It's just a way to torture yourself. And uh, you know, I, I did the workout that was in the book that I was following and I, I finished it and I'm just jogging home. And I'm just kind of carefree, probably have some worship tunes on and I'm just jogging home. And uh, that's just there on the ground and I step on it and it's uneven surface, and I just go down. I, I, I fall all the way to the ground, and, and I go to stand up, and my ankle is completely sprained. I mean, these ligaments are, are destroyed. I've had probably 30 sprained ankles in my life, okay, at least. I've had a lot of sprained. I, I, I know what it feels like to have a sprained ankle, either one, whichever one you want to talk about, okay? This one was bad. Not the worst ever, but this one was bad. I could not go home. I was stuck. I called my wife. Now look, if you're, if you're, if you're a runner calling for an evacuation 
is embarrassing. You don't want to have to get in a vehicle to go home. The whole point of running is that you run, right? And, you know, I don't want to call my wife, you know, it's like, you know, admitting defeat. Not that she judges me. She didn't. She was, she was fine. I'm like a half mile from, I literally cannot even walk home. That's how bad it is. And so she comes and she picks me up and, and, and I'm telling her what happened. And, and, and while I was waiting for her, I looked around. I'm like, what in the world happened? And that's when I saw this. I saw this there, mocking me in a silence. <laughs> you think you can run a marathon? <laughs> I picked up this rock. I brought it in the minivan home. <laughs> All right? The next day, I'm limping. I'm limping around. I can't, I can't walk normally. But I'm not like, it's not like a broken leg, right? But I'm limping. I can't walk normally. The day passes, I go to work, whatever, it's now nighttime. I know that by 11.59, I have a commitment with myself. I'm running every day. Minimum is one mile. If it's not a mile, I didn't run. See what I'm saying? So, I guess it'd be 10, 11 o'clock, it's do or die. So you know what I did? I took, I took a, a bandage, I put it around the ankle, and then duct tape. Or uh, plastic, uh, Sarah Jane was there. Remember what I, I don't remember exactly what I put on there. But I put a bunch of stuff on the ankle to make it hard. And then I went out and I limp jogged. Looked like a horse. <laughs> I limp jogged down my road. I'm on the corner of this road called Acorn. It's a half mile long. And I limp jogged back. Looked like an idiot. Felt like an idiot. <laughs> went home. Slept, the next day, did it again. Next day, did it again. By the end of the week, I was just where I left off on my training program. I continued and I ran that marathon. This right here, this right here could have destroyed my race. It could have easily destroyed my, I could have just quit and said, oh, I'm injured, I'm injured. And these, these programs, you don't understand, those of you who aren't endurance athletes, everything is meticulously planned. And there's a certain point in the program where if you get derailed, guess what? You're not getting anywhere near your time, and you might not even finish your race. 26.2 miles is a long way to go. And so this was my stumbling stone. And I want you to think of this as a parable, because you're going to have problems worse than this in your life. People you love are going to die. People that you love are going to betray you. Boyfriends are going to dump you. Girlfriends are going to cheat on you. There's going to be bad things that happen to all of us in our life. And I pray that you, you would live a blessed life and have minimal suffering. But you know what? The reality of this world is, it's going to come. It's going to come. And, and when that stumbling comes, whether it's you know, something that you didn't see or something that you expected, doesn't matter. When it comes and you hit the ground and you're bloody and, you're, and you say, I don't want to get up anymore, you got to get up. You got to get up. You can't quit. And I don't care if it's some dumb thing that I do or some insensitive thing that somebody else says, you can't let it take you out. You just can't. Think about the Apostle Paul. Uh, let me just wind, I gotta wind down. I'm, I'm, I'm going too long. I don't want anybody to come up to me, you preach too long. <laughs> Think about the Apostle Paul. <laughs> Think about the Apostle Paul. What in the world makes a man like that? What in the world makes a man to be able to go into a, a city and to preach and then to be so thoroughly rejected that they don't just want to yell insults at him, they want to beat him up. And you know what? Sometimes they do. They catch him and they whip him. And then he gets back up and he goes to the next city and he does it again. Where does that come from? I know some of you would be like, oh, it's just supernatural empowerment, brother. Okay, I can see that. I can see some supernatural empowerment there. But God's got to have something to work with. And the first time Paul got a hangnail, if he said, you know what, I'm out. He would have never had the mental tenacity to say, with God I can prevail. With God I can get through this. I was sent on a mission. The mission is to evangelize. This is, what, this is my whole life God has prepared me for this. I know I've got bruises. I know they just threw rocks at me until they thought I was dead. But I'm getting up. I'm going to get up and I'm going to go to the next village. The only way they could stop Paul was to kill him. Can that be said of you? Can that be said of you? That the only way the devil can defeat you is if you're no longer sucking air. 
I fear that for many of us, that's not the case. For many of us, it's just a little gossip and we're done. For many of us, it's just one insensitive comment and we're just, we're out. We're out. I don't need this Christianity crap. For, For a lot of us, it's some little thing. Oh, they forgot my birthday. And I'm not saying any of this is right. It's not, I'm, not, I'm not saying your suffering isn't real. Your suffering is real. Your pain is real. Right? And God cares when we go through pain and suffering. I'm saying don't let it take you down. And if it does take you down, this rock took me down. It's not like I, I tripped on it and then I recovered and I was just like, oh, I a sprained ankle. No, I was down. I was in pain. I was moaning. And then I called my wife and I asked her very humbly to come pick my sorry butt up. But I got back up the next day. You get back up the next day. This is just a dumb physical example. What can't you do with God's help? What work has God called you to do that you've said, you know what, it's too hard, they don't listen? Get back to it. Get back to it. Because look, we're all going to be offended, but you don't quit. You don't quit. And I'm not saying you put yourself in the same situation if somebody's abusing you. You're going to keep getting abused. Don't do that. That's stupid. What I'm saying is, whatever it is that gets thrown at you, you don't let it take you out from the things of God. All right. That concludes this episode on I'm Offended. Just wanted to let you know that if you'd like to make any comments or ask any questions, you can do that at restitutio.org. Find episode 374, I'm Offended, and leave your remarks there. Now, this sermon came from Revive 2020. That's the revive that occurred just about a a year and a week ago. Um, And there were a number of other topics we covered at that event, including I'm angry, I'm jealous, I'm anxious, and I'm not good enough by a variety of other speakers. So I have a link in the show notes for the episode for that page, or you could just go to restitutio.org and search Revive 2020. And uh, check out some of those other topics if they are of interest to you. I also have a link in the show notes to a sermon on resilience from just a week or two ago at the very close of 2020. Last but not least, I wanted to invite you this Sunday. That's, uh, this only applies to those of you listening to this in January of 2021. But this Sunday, we're going to have a Q&A session with Jacob Ballard, the pastor from Indiana who led us through a four-part series on postmodernism. He had talked about what a worldview is, how postmodernism is different from modernism, how postmodernism is affecting our world today, and how to engage in cross-cultural conversations with postmodern-minded people. Now, this has been an enlightening series, at least in my opinion, of conversations, and it directly relates to recent events in 2020 and 2021, uh, such as Black Lives Matter, the anti-mask campaign, and a number of the conspiracies that came out around COVID-19, the 2021 attack on the Capitol, the recent de-platforming of Parler as a social media service. You know, the question is, what is going on with these community narratives that uh, postmodern-minded people are spinning out, sometimes over against the facts of the matter? And uh, this is not a phenomenon only found on the left of the political divide. It's found just as much on the right of the political divide. And, you know, as with other episodes and conversations, my interest is not politics. My interest is in the society. Our motto here is restoring authentic Christianity and living it out today. So that's what I want to do. How do I, as a 21st century person who's living in the time where these things are going on, how do I successfully navigate the complexities, the confusion, the shouting voices, and more importantly, as I've emphasized previously, how do I reach people who aren't yet Christians and present the gospel in such a way that it is indeed good news as opposed to just something that makes them angry? Uh, Now, obviously, we don't want to change the message, and I really appreciate Pastor Ballard making that as one of his main points, is that we can change the language but not the message. We can say the message in different words and appeal through different ways, and uh, this is going to be a nice discussion time where you will be able to participate and have a discussion with uh, Pastor Ballard and myself on Zoom this coming Sunday. That's going to be Sunday, January 17th at 8 p.m., 
Eastern Standard Time, and I've got a Zoom link on restitutio.org. I posted it there. It's also in the Facebook group. Also, if you're subscribed to email, I emailed it to you. Uh, but if you haven't gotten it yet, just come on to the main website, restitutio.org, and you'll be able to find the post Q&A with Jacob Ballard, and uh, the link is there for you, as well as the four episodes we did together, which if you haven't listened to yet, I would encourage you to listen to if you're going to participate in our discussion. So thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Indeed, some crazy times in which we find ourselves. It seems like each week we have a shocking new event. Um, But through it all, God is faithful. Christ is Lord and Savior. And we will persevere. We will get through this. And the question is, how will we get through this? Will we get through this time well as salt and light? Will we get through this time as ambassadors for the kingdom? Or will we get sucked into the chaos, the confusion, the shouting, and everything else? That's really the question before us today that we are looking to discuss. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in, for listening to the end here. Catch you next week. And remember, truth has nothing to fear. Hello, Sean. Uh, Looking back at 2020, I don't really have a favorite episode. Um, I have a favorite series, though, namely the How We Got Our Bible episodes from the summer. Um, Going through the difficult verses with you and hearing a professional translator talk about his work, it was really inspiring. Um, And while I'll never master Greek or Hebrew, um, I read footnotes now even pop into interlinears once in a while. There's a rich intellectual world there that I pretty much ignored, partly out of fear. But guys like you and Michael Heisler give me, sorry, Michael Heiser, give me confidence that yes, the Bible can be studied without having faith ruined. Um, thanks for the great year of content and all the best in 2021.